all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Hi, welcome to Cars and Comrades, the podcast about automotive culture from a leftist perspective. My name is Bryant. Uh, with me is Brandon Connor today. Say hello, guys. Hi. Hey. And uh, Zach couldn't make it. Um, he might jump in on the call later on, but uh, I'm not sure what his schedule is today exactly. So He's abandoned us. Yeah. Well, I hope not. Um, <laughs> well, for the but- day. Um, So we're going to talk about some automotive news stories today that we found interesting. Uh, There's some stuff that happened since we last did a news episode. But first, let's get started talking about what we've been up to on our various project cars and give a little update for the listeners there. So um, I guess let's just go alphabetical again. Uh, Brandon, I know you said you were working on your cut list. Is that right? I've, I've actually been working on a whole lot. I somehow managed to work an insane amount of hours and still fix stuff. Um, I, I fixed an intermittent problem that I was having with my van. Um, it was the ever so complicated. My carb was barely bolted down. Uh, <laughs> That'll do it. I've, I've literally never taken the carb off of this motor, so I had no real reason to think to double check it. But suddenly my engine started lean popping under heavy load, and I was you know, obviously concerned about that. So when I started chasing things down, I I realized that under enough load, it was pulling enough vacuum to pull air in from underneath the carburetor and lean, lean out the mixture. Huh? You Uh, think it would make a better seal, uh, under vacuum, but yeah, that's what, that's what a buddy of mine said, but we're literally talking about bolts that were barely hand tight. Okay. So it was just rattling around kind of. So all it wasn't rattling around, but I, I think it, it would have only taken a small kink in the the uh, gasket underneath the carb to yeah. you know keep that from from sealing up really good. Um, I fixed that and a bunch of other small little stuff. Um, pretty much every fluid on my van became low at once in a very stressful weekend of me trying to figure out why everything was leaking. There was no answer. It just coincidentally aligned that my 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 transmission fluid oil coolant and power steering fluid all and brake fluid all managed to to get low on the same weekend um god bless old vehicles um yeah and i got my cutlass uh running good uh some stuff was wired backwards and so i i got that wired properly and now it's charging correctly without cranking my alternator up to being like 200 degrees um and i drove that around for a while this weekend to make sure all the bugs were sorted out and it seems to be doing good. And I've also been helping a friend of mine do some welding on a, a 63 Volkswagen bus, like a split window bus with the camper top. Like it's a pretty uncommon rare sort of model and he needed help welding it. So I've been doing that. Um, That sort of has taken over my time that I had to work on my personal projects, which sucks, but I'm happy to see something cool like that get back on the road. 
And I'm thinking about taking a break from my van for a couple of weeks and uh, the van that I'm, I'm fixing up and putting one of my bikes together because I have this uh, shovel head chopper project that has been sitting around for like five years. Yeah, that sounds like fun. It'd be good, you know, especially if the weather's getting nicer there. I don't know how it is right now there. I could be out riding right now. Uh, it's like 68 degrees right now. Um, and Perfect. I have, I think I have probably 98% of the parts to, to put that bike together and just need to machine a couple of things and maybe do a little bit of welding and probably spend a couple hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars. I, I think I, the only thing expensive off the top of my head that I know I need is uh, an ignition module. Um, and I've worked enough overtime in the last fucking month that I can afford to put that bike together. So I should just do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that sounds it. cool. Um, and that, that's it. That's me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I've been working on some of my projects that I want to get done, uh, you know, for nicer weather. Uh, I think since last time we caught, we talked, uh, I, I fixed the electrical problems on my MR2, which, um, I'm not really sure what the problem was. I just kind of took a bunch of stuff out, uh, out, pulled the plugs apart, cleaned the contacts, and put them all back together, and now it, it works. So um, I guess maybe just a little clip was loose or something like that. Um, but yeah, so now the turn signals and headlights work, so that's that's good. I was driving it last night, and um, uh, I, I really do love that car, like... You know, it's a it's a little 1.6 uh, dual overhead cam engine. Uh, it kind of sounds like a like a leader bike a little bit. You know, it revs up to I think the red line's seven and a half thousand, um, and it um, you know comes on cam around I don't know like forty five hundred or something like that. So it it really loves to be revved, and it's a lot of fun even just driving around in traffic with it. Um, I still need to uh, fix the alignment where it got a little bit bent when I ran into a curb. I'm not sure if like, cause I've got it maxed out on the adjustment um, for the camber, I believe. Um, and I'm not sure if I should start grinding extra material out of the, um, like the strut mount part of the hub thing, or if I should uh, like notch out the, the, mounts for the top of the strut where it bolts under the body of the car uh to change the angle that way um i'm thinking i think they've got to have uh they've got to have a camber kit for that don't they um maybe change out the arm i would think they've got to have i mean personally because when you're cutting it's hard to be you know exactly right and you know for alignment yeah i mean i know i could get uh like coilovers and that would come with the adjustable top hats but um i'm not sure uh what, what all would be involved with a camber kit that you're talking about well i mean you know it depends on i don't know what kind of suspension it's got but you know usually you've got some kind of whatever upper control arm that might adjust or the top hats if, if it's that type um or even you know uh your lower control arms might be able to be extended or something. There's, oh, okay. there's all kinds of little things and it's different for every car. I'll, I'll have to look uh, into that. I don't though. know if there are any uh, aftermarket lower control arms, but it's um, it's a strut type suspension, you know, just regular McPherson struts. Um, basically the gotcha. same as what was on the same uh, model year Corolla, just uh, lowered down and 
maybe a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll look into that. Like I've seen, you know, the, the drifters do, uh, their own camber things where they grind out the holes in the, um, the strut mount to be, to get more adjustment mm-hmm. that way. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, uh, yeah, you could probably, I mean, I suppose that it's, it's, it can be a little sloppy, but it, it might get, if you only just carve out a little bit. Yeah. I suppose that's, that'll yeah. get you somewhere. Yeah. I, I might talk, talk to some experts and uh, professionals about this, but we'll see. Um, yeah, a good friend of mine is, is embarking soon on making fully custom tubular upper and lower control arms for his dad's pickup. I'm really excited to see how that gets done. That's cool. I mean, nice. yeah, if you're a skilled enough fabricator and you have, you know, like a, you can make a little jig for it, that seems like a pretty straightforward operation. Uh, he's, he's been building custom cars his whole life. Yeah. And his, his dad's pickup is a, like a, like uh it's a c10 like a 65 66 c10 that will lay frame it's it's airbagged and nice like slammed so and it's on i think 20 or 22 inch rims so uh they were not able to come up with any affordable and reasonable solution to the control arm problems that they were encountering and he just said fuck it he's building them nice yeah i you know my old Miata had probably the best suspension of any car that I've ever driven as far as like the double wishbone uh, setup. And um, that's the only real downside of the MR2 um, that I can think of other than it, you know, not having a whole lot of power. Um, So if I had the means to do so, I would probably put Miata front suspension on the MR2, which would require a lot of cutting and welding and stuff. Um, and then probably like, um, like late nineties civic suspension in the rear or, uh, maybe, um, CRX or CRV. I mean, the all wheel drive, uh, rear end from one of those. Um, I'm not sure if that would work, but I, I, it's a fairly compact setup as far as double wish ones go, um, for, for a rear suspension. Um, but, uh. Yeah, I don't know. That's probably never going to happen. But um, I guess the other project I've been working on is my uh, recumbent bicycle. It's a uh, bike ECT, I believe, is the model. Um, And it has this weird uh, hub transmission that's not made anymore by uh, SRAM or Saks or uh, maybe both. Uh, I think one bought the other. And uh, it's a th- it's a three speed planetary hub transmission, and then it has a seven speed cassette on the outside of that with a derailleur. Um, and I got um, when I took it apart to regrease it, I put the bearing in backwards. It has like this caged bearing, um, and I put it in backwards, and it shredded the cage for the bearing because uh, I'm a dumbass. Um, so I couldn't find that caged bearing anywhere. It's like a special proprietary size that they only made for this one transmission. I don't know why they nice. didn't just use a standard off-the-shelf part. Because you can buy like caged bearings for like headsets or um, uh, bottom bracket, uh, you know, crank bearings for a bicycle that are a standard size, like you know, 
why did they use this whatever i think it's like 40.2 millimeter or something like that anyways i ended up just buying a whole new rear hub and wheel from some guy in alaska uh so of course the shipping was just as much as the actual uh thing itself uh but he was real nice and sent me um some other junky old hub transmission for a different bike so i've got that to tinker around with um you know, I'm in my spare time and maybe make up a, a spare wheel for it. So we'll see about that. Um, so I got that, that wheel installed on my bike and changed the tire over and all that and hooked it up. And that part works great. But then in the process, I must have, um, when I flipped it upside down, I, I hit the handlebars on the ground or something and I cracked the shifter mechanism for the derailleur. So the, hub transmission shifts fine and then the derailleur is all wonky so i just went today to the uh bike shop and picked up a new shifter for that so hoping to get that on the road and look like a dork on my recumbent bicycle uh, down on the trail so yeah that's what i've been up to um i think that's about it i'm realizing how dumb all of my modes of transportation make me because i just go with the least complicated setup always my bicycle is fixed gear no brakes and my all of my like dude i'm trying to get my van fixed up so it can be my daily driver again and it doesn't even have independent front suspension yeah so yeah wow (laughs) yeah dude uh before 1971 chevy vans were a solid front axle and you're making fun of me for being all about steam engines well, I mean, they still had gas motors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you know, what, 60-something technology is is a little bit more high-tech than 1860-something technology. So. <laughs> but, uh, Connor, what have you been working on? Uh, not, uh, not too much. Um, I did speak with the... Uh engine tuner, uh, which I had, uh, an appointment set up for, uh, tomorrow technically, um, to bring my, um, finished 350Z back, uh, for proper tuning. Um, however, we are not quite there yet and we pushed it back a month and chances are I will have to push it back, uh, at least another couple weeks past that. So we're currently looking at like early to mid May, um, cause it's taking a while, which, it's just Uh-oh. how it how it is. I mean, it's you know, it's busy. Nothing catastrophic. It's not, just uh, it's just a little no, slow. No, no, no. It's just a little slow. Um. So yeah, I haven't heard like, oh man, you fucking cracked the block or something. Nope. Just it's taken a bit. Um. Okay. And you know, I initially made the appointment. Um. And I was thinking like, oh, the car would go to the shop in like, you know, around January fifteenth or something. I forget when it actually went, but it was it was definitely into February. So, um, you know, it's it's taking yeah, a while. Nothing it, ever it goes, got there a little late. Nothing ever goes on, on schedule. That I was hoping to have exactly. my van ready for spring, and I'm just getting started on it. No, exactly. And I kind of always knew that that was how it was going to be, which I'm very fortunate to be, you know, working from home and, you know, if I really need a, a car to get around, um, I can use my girlfriend's car for something here or there, you know, but 
uh, generally speaking, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. So um, it's been really fine. I'm not rushing. It's it is what it is. It's going to take however long it's going to take. So um, so, yeah, we did. We, we pushed that back. So we're still we're still working on that. Um, so not much going on there. Um, that's new. Uh, I did also bring my Camaro over to the shop because it's, um, it, it's been at, you know, my dad's house, which, uh, it's, it's hard for me to get over there now. Um, cause I don't have my own car. Um, so it's hard for me for me to get over there and work on it and look at, you know, this emissions shit I got to figure out. Uh, so I ended up just saying, you know, fuck it, take it to the shop, have them look for something's unplugged. Um, something is unplugged somewhere and it's causing a check engine light and, uh, that won't let me pass emissions. So, um, so it went over there. Um, again, no, no big deal there. It's just, it's going to be what it's going to be. Uh, and then, uh, this week, I think I might've, I might have, um, solved my insurance issues. Um, Cause you know, I, w- I was working on trying to find proper insurance. It's going to cover all this extra shit I'm putting into the car, um, which has been very difficult. And, you know, I thought I was looking through state farm and the other way. Yeah, yeah, we can cover all that and everything except, you know, of course, as soon as I started asking for a policy in writing or like, Hey, where's this in on your website where it says you'll cover all this stuff. And, you know, Oh, I got to talk to the underwriter and you know, oh, they said it, it'll probably work. And I'm like, well, dude, when my car is fucking smashed up, I don't want to hear probably. Um, so, you know, I, I looked elsewhere. Um, right now I think uh, I'm looking at like progressive and they, it seems like they might have, um, what, what I need. They, they were kind of willing to put into writing like, yeah, here's how much coverage you'll get. Here's, you know, the way we would do this is you'd go and get a proper appraisal somewhere, which I don't know where the hell to get an appraisal um, on a car that's not like a classic car. Um, so that's kind of weird. And I have to figure that out. But um, for like right now, before I get um, an actual appraisal, they'll just cover like here. I have receipts for all this. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Um, so they did at least put that like in an email. So um, I'm probably going to go with that. And it should save me some money on insurance from what I'm paying now, because um, initially my current insurance is based on, uh, I think, two moving violations. Um, and one of those dropped off my record recently. So um, by switching, I will escape the knowledge of said moving violations or at least one of them. So that's where that's where I've been lately is, you know, shops and trying to figure out insurance. Yo, have yeah. I bragged to y'all about how the I haven't had a moving violation in like 15 years? Yeah, I think I you mentioned that. Episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can be doing 100 in a van and it still looks slow, so. Yeah, I... Nobody, I, nobody I, sees a van and thinks that's going fast. <laughs> I have noticed that, you know, I'll, I'll see dads in minivans just driving like 20 over the speed limit and nothing happens to him. So if you can, you know, blend in that much, I don't know. I know you're not driving a minivan, but no, my well, van so has a big weirdly enough, Oh yeah. That, that's probably not helping. Um, in my <laughs> case, both of my, Oh, maybe, <laughs> um, it, you know, in my case, they're not even speeding tickets. Like, I've gotten really good at not getting speeding tickets and shit. 
Um, these were both for using my phone while driving. And one of those was while I was, um, I, I take like almost no responsibility for it. Cause I'm like, I was doing that over the road driving job where I'd have to drive, you know, 12 to 20 hours at a time. Yeah. I was using my fucking phone oh, like yeah. to change the music or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like I had to, that was my only way to, you know, do whatever. So I got, I got caught doing that. And then another time, um, once again, changing the music in my my Z on my way to work in the morning, a cop got me. So two moving violations, both for, you know, stupid using your phone stuff, which I mean, I get don't use your phone when you're driving. It's it's bad, but I don't have like the fancy car systems that I'm like, hey, play this song or whatever. Um, I've got really old school stuff. So. Yeah, I'm 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 the same. I'm not especially inclined to like use my phone when I'm driving, but I use Spotify when I'm driving and I don't have any hands-free sort of stuff in my 1975 van. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the uh, cops like, oh, you don't have any hands-free stuff? And I'm like, it's an 03. Like, no. <laughs> I don't. I've got to change the song. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Dude, my cutlass ticket. predates Fuck. the need for, like, seatbelts, I think. <laughs> you know, yeah, I actually... I, uh, the, um... Go ahead, I typically Brian. listen to music uh, just in earbuds, which is probably not the greatest idea, but my MR2 is kind of loud but with the engine right behind my head. And uh, also the stereo in that is kind of degraded over time so that, like, maybe one and a half speakers works at any given time. And the, and the only way I can put music through my phone to the stereo is with one of those like little FM transmitter things. Yeah. Uh, yep. So yeah, I, not even the little cassette adapter thing. Uh, but, um, okay. You're fucking up. Cause again, 1975 van over here and I have a Bluetooth radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should just like, you know, pay 50 or 100 bucks to get a new actual stereo that was built in the last century mine was 18 dollars. okay oh well that's worth looking wait into. was it from the junkyard what's that was it from the junkyard Nah, i, I like I'm, I'm not really? encouraging this sort of shopping behavior but i bought it from a walmart okay yeah they have a model okay. i think it's gone up i think it's 22 dollars now oh okay so, well that's on my budget yeah <laughs> Well, hey, if it works, it works. Um, I mean, I want to take a minute to take a shit on um, the quote-unquote hands-free infotainment systems they're putting in cars now with the touchscreens. I'm pretty sure that's way more dangerous than either a phone or any past radio. Uh, I, I just It seems like you've got to really look at what you're doing. Um, yeah, especially if you're just like check, you know, changing the, the heater or the AC or whatever, you know, like you got to beep a bunch of yeah, buttons go through a stuff. fucking menu while yeah. you're driving yeah it seems dangerous to me um i i think i'd like to see like a study on you know hey oh it turns out these are causing accidents or something i don't know but it seems like you have to take your eyes off the road kind of like for way too long yeah um actually uh yes. now that you mentioned it um previous guest of the show james gilboy wrote an article about that very phenomenon um basically talking about how he has adhd and like all these, you know, screens and everything are just a huge distraction from driving and, and are going to cause wrecks and probably are causing wrecks, you know? 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I fully do not understand how hands-free makes anything safer. Not no, when you're I don't basically either. having to operate Windows so that you can find <laughs> any given thing you're trying well, especially, to do. Especially in most cars now, which, I mean, like, I get in a stick shift car, I have to, like, basically, I have to put myself into a safe situation before I can change the music, right? Because I have to have that hand-free to shift. Um, so I pretty much have to get into whatever gear I'm cruising at and everything's got to be stable for me to do anything. Automatics don't even have that. So I'm like, they got a hand free and you're going to have them go through a fucking whole windows setup. And like you're saying, it just, it seems like it seems dangerous to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know some, some newer cars have like the voice activated features, which is maybe a little bit safer than poking at a screen all the time, but Okay, fun fact. I know I know that this is like the longest little intro discussion section we've had, but um <laughs> I, I experienced my first experience with Android Auto was um we rented a car when we were in Colorado and uh, you know, it got to a point where I was having to scream at the fucking stereo. It was driving <laughs> me nuts. I, I swear to god, it was the worst thing I ever I was like you know, and I, I got all pissed off. I had to pull over and I had to like, okay, turn it off, turn it off. I'm not doing this shit ever again. I will, I will handle my fucking phone because that shit was, it was outrageous. It was nothing but problems and it was unsafe. And I was like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. I'm sure once you get used to certain aspects of it, maybe it, maybe it works better or something. I, I don't know, but I was very upset. Um, and it like it would put my phone into a certain state where you can't like do anything with it either. So like the state, you know, the car has got a mind of its own on what the fuck it's doing. And there was nothing I could do to stop it. And uh, yeah, that, that definitely created some unsafe driving conditions, I would say. So, um, yeah, not a not a big fan of that. But I digress. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And. Uh, come to think of it, when I changed out the stereo in my Sabaru, one of the things I look, looked for specifically was a volume knob. You know, at least that yep. is, you know, not a button or something. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, um, oh, and Connor, you know, but, yeah. I, I saw some of the photos of your Camaro that you posted with that. I didn't know it had that cool two-tone paint job, like that is a, a oh, actually yeah. a really nice looking car. Like when someone says they have their old Camaro that they haven't driven in years or whatever, I, I think, <laughs> oh, what's this thing going to look like? But I was pleasantly surprised. I, I also saw yeah, some no, pictures it's... and was surprised. It doesn't look oh, like the shitbox I... that you make it sound like. <laughs> okay, look, <laughs> if you were paying for it, it would it would feel like the fucking shitbox that it is breaking all the time. But um, no, admittedly, it is. It needs look. It needs some work. The pictures that I most recently posted look real nice. Um, they look really, really nice. Um, the car is not quite as nice in person. I, I promise. But um, yes, it's the 30th anniversary with the orange stripes and everything. It's it's fucking cool looking to say the least. Um, and and it can it can move. Um, I just after driving the Nissan, the Nissan is better to drive. It is just a more driver oriented car i think um and yeah that camaro i mean i've spent some serious money on that camaro um but yeah i'm hoping to sell that for a good amount of money hopefully um and i i just want to get 
I just want to get out from under it before something else major breaks because I'm always scared that like the engine's going to explode again or you know a transmission's going to go. Um, yeah, it, it's it's had some some issues, so I, I I'm nervous about it breaking again. <laughs> well, but it, it does look within cool. that car. Is it's is, is that an LT one or? Yeah, it's an LT one. Okay, what transmission? Uh, yeah, four L sixty. No, no, it's a it's a T fifty six. Oh, that uh, okay, cool. Which is a good trans. However, right now my third gear is popping out, so someone's gonna have to do something about that, and it's not gonna be me. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like lie and like try and no, it pops out of third gear. So you know the next owner's got to handle that. Um, it's one of those things that like you can learn to drive with it, but like you don't want to be. If you're if you're really trying to do a, a pull through all the gears, um, you have to be very careful because you can easily over rev in third if it pops out on you. Yeah, I, so. I, I had a little Mazda years and years and years ago before I was really like a car guy, um, and it didn't even have third gear, so you, you can get by. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trust me, it works. Especially you can shift that car. Um, it it doesn't have it now; it has it removed, but. Um, that car came with from the factory uh, second gear skip shift. So what it would do is it would like I don't know how it worked exactly with the linkage, but like it put a little gate um, that led from second gear and like put you right down into fourth. So like you'd go in first gear and when you could be you get up to 10 or 15 miles per hour and when you shift, it puts you right into fourth. Hmm. That's weird. It is weird, but of course it was such a low down torquey motor that you can, you can be in fourth gear going 12 miles an hour. Um, and it'll work. It's, it's going to be putts and along, but usually like if you don't need the power, it was, it was a way to save gas and up their mileage on the vehicle when they sold it. Hmm. Um, so it, it was like that. And, you know, a lot of people obviously removed it because they hated that. Um, it would, by the way, it only would engage if you're like going slow. So like if you really try and take off the line, it's not going to be there. You can go right in a second. But um, if you're just leaving off a light normal and you're not driving aggressively, um, it would put you right in fourth. Huh. So kind of an interesting little um, little thing. A lot of people made fun of it or or got rid of it or whatever, but, um, you know, I never, I never drove it with that. So maybe it was a good option. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's kind of a clever, it's a clever workaround. I think. Sounds dumb. <laughs> I mean, no, not, yeah, not I, mean, I think the time I'm, I'm like, critical of everything, but overloading an engine is not good for fuel economy. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I mean, I they must've found a way for it to work. Yeah, they they measured know, some uh, difference with it, but they didn't need to. Uh, you, the, you weren't using that much gas in second and third gear, really. I mean, um, it already had good, very good highway mileage. That car for what it was, I mean, it was well, almost I, thirty I, miles to the gallon in '97. It was fucking awesome. You, you almost didn't need to do much else. There was uh, two or three years ago. I remember reading that it was Chevy or Ford One w- was releasing like their new model year of pickup and it had either a four or six cylinder option that got worse fuel economy under certain driving conditions than the v8 did because it was <laughs> bogging the engine down so bad 
and you know those fucking trucks mm. weigh like eight thousand pounds so you yeah. actually yeah. need a little bit of torque to get moving along isn't i want to say the the chevy silverado has like a three liter a four-cylinder with a turbo on it that gets you know almost almost the same mileage as the v8 uh yeah and um, my old boss had had like this it was the four-cylinder i think it, i think it was a turbo i assume so yeah um, and he said he did not get especially great fuel mileage out of it. Yeah. And um, one thing I noticed about my uh, MR2 driving it last night is it's starting to pop out of fifth gear, which I guess is a common problem with those gearboxes. My uh, friend in college had a Corolla with the same transmission that was doing the same thing. And he just had a bungee cord that he wrapped around the shifter and tied to the uh, center console or the dashboard or whatever. Yeah, if y'all trying to go fast, just put in automatics. <laughs> well, I I might have mentioned this, but I might have mentioned this, but I think in the '88 or '89 model year, the MR2 with the supercharger and the automatic transmission was the quickest vehicle sold in the U.S. from zero to thirty miles an hour. So, Walmart. <laughs> it's a very specific uh, record to have. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a baseball stat. <laughs> this is the first pitcher to throw eight strikes in blue socks since 1968. <laughs> I, I swear to God, that's what I hear every time. Yeah, that's like those, those sounds to me. <laughs> it's like those people that say that their car is ultra rare because it's like the only car with this color Mopar blue guys. and fucking Mopar guys. <laughs> They're the worst. This car was one out of six because it was the only one that had like this suspension package in a four speed with a front bench seat. And it was painted in this color green. Right. Like, motherfucker, like that doesn't make it a rare model. You just paint like it would be one of 10,000 if you just included all of the color options, like shut up. Yeah, <laughs> but then somehow like everybody knows like eight dudes that had a Hemi when they only produced thirty thousand factory Hemi cars ever. Yep. Yep. <laughs> fucking Mopar guys, man. My best friends won. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Y'all want to move on to the news? Yep. Connor, I think you found the first couple uh, stories. So why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, okay. Well, um, coming up, uh, I think this was about last month, if I remember correctly, but uh, we're a little behind on uh, on our news, so hopefully we'll be a little more current going forward. But um, uh, it is still noteworthy uh, that GM has officially announced um, when they will be um, stopping production of all gas and diesel-powered vehicles. Uh, so that's coming pretty soon. Um, it seems like everybody is... Um, all the automakers and various countries are kind of all um, consolidating around this uh, 2035 um, target. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing that's about where the end's going to be um, in, in other announcements. Um, and a lot of other automakers are, are kind of expected to um, follow suit with this uh, uh, announcement. So um GM did say uh, that their goal is to be carbon neutral by 2040, which I'm not 100% sure what they're referring to um, by that. But in order to reach that goal, 
uh, they will be stopping production of gas and diesel powered vehicles by the year 2035. So um, that's, you know, uh, which we were expecting. Um, Our last episode, we talked about how Japan was going to be kind of banning internal combustion engines after 2035. Um, I would think that the European Union is, is pretty much in the same vein. Um, so we're likely to see the same thing happen here. And does that mean the manufacturer of new internal combustion engines, or are they going to get rid of, are they going to make it illegal to register a car with a gas engine? I would think they are going to, well, hmm, that's a good question. Um, they are I, I would almost to- put money on it that GM is going to stop putting gas and diesel engines in vehicles, but they will never stop making the small block. Like you can, <laughs> GM will never give up on the small block Chevy. Like it will be in production when there's only like six human beings left alive to operate the machines. It is the cockroach of engines. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Something tells me that um, I, I think this is more in relation to their quote unquote production vehicles. Um, who knows what's going to happen in, in terms of motorsports and what's available. Um, if this is allowed to be a hobby that people continue, I, I don't know. Um, I have a feeling a lot of that will be, for the most part, cars that were produced from you know the 1990s to 2035 will be in motorsports. But um, after that, well, that and electric vehicles. So, I, you know, but... They might make some hobby, you know, internal combustion engines for um, track use, but um, it's it wouldn't it wouldn't likely be that profitable for them to do that either. So, dude, I love an eight mile per gallon like big block V eight, but if if we're being real, like it's not we're not far away from the point where electric motors are going to be able to absolutely dominate motorsports. They pretty much, I mean, really, we just don't see many of them out there yet, but they pretty much already can from, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, especially for like uh, short duration races, like the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, you know, they're already, you know, beating, they're already beating records, you know, yeah. of gas cars. Yeah, it's, I don't know it's tough to a compete. lot about the handling, but having like that low center of gravity yep. and the instant torque off the line, like you're not going to beat that sort of stuff with a gas motor. Yeah, and for the hill climbs, you don't lose power uh, at altitude, and that's a big factor for electric motors. Oh, I didn't think about that, yeah. Yeah. And same is true for uh, steam engines, which um, <laughs> is why one of my goals is to uh, take the uh, the record for a steam-powered car up Pikes Peak someday. But uh, it's still a dream at this point. Brian over here getting all reject modernity on us. <laughs> i'll be rooting yeah. for you <laughs> um anyway so uh, right now um what what the article cited um was that uh, electric vehicles are currently accounting for only three percent of car sales in the u.s um of course uh that's kind of to be expected it's kind of had a hard time getting off the ground but uh you know, naturally, this is going to ramp up pretty quickly. So, you know, it, it seems like the shift is pretty rapid, but it, it really isn't surprising. Um, it, it's going to ramp up pretty quick. So in theory, you know, in the next five, 
you know, five to seven years, um, I, I think your average person is going to be much more likely to buy an electric car than they were, you know, t- today. Um, so hopefully they can bring the cost down a little bit because, you know, cars just seem to get more expensive constantly, of course, you know, which is weird because we've had almost no inflation for the last decade. So, um, but I think it was two years ago that Chevy released their first pickup truck package that was over a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, we, we, have, we, we got to do an episode on pickup truck prices at some point. Cause I don't understand how they're so expensive. It's like, okay, you use the same motor that you use in all these other cars. You, okay. You've got a little more metal involved. Okay. Where's the other cost coming from? <laughs> like weather I... only gets so good. Yeah, I think it's just because they can really like, I mean, modern pickup trucks have turned into like luxury cars, basically, at this point. It's the modern equivalent of in the the 60s and 70s when there was the horsepower wars. These everybody was like trying to make engines that were like four and five hundred horsepower. And, you know, those those were the high end packages and it was on muscle cars. And now they're just doing that same shit with pickup trucks and the numbers are higher. I mean. Of course, it's going to cost more, but it's it's a status thing. It's it's a dick measuring competition. It you know yeah. Just, I don't know. Fuck, fuck those guys. All right. Um. Anyway, so uh, we know that global warming obviously is increasing uh, with Arctic ice melting three times more than expected for 2021, uh, and of course we've got raging fires in California and Australia and. Oregon and you know of course all the others so um, none of this sounds like a problem yeah we're we're seeing the obvious effects here Um, and uh, on top of that we've got you know certain crop failures in some farming areas um, all results of rapidly increasing global warming Um, don't forget that a lot of scientists are saying global warming is going to be a contributing factor to this and future pandemics yes yes that too Um, I for all sorts of reasons too Um, that it's just, it's bad all around, obviously. Um, anyway, so, uh, according to GM, uh, merely manufacturing zero polluting vehicles is not enough, uh, in their eyes. Um, so carbon neutrality is, is on the minds of, um, GM and many other corporations. So not once again, not exactly sure what is, what is the difference here between manufacturing zero polluting vehicles and being actually carbon neutral. Um, I think there's other offsets there for other activities within the company. Um, but, you know, uh, I'm not uh, a lot of that feels like it could just be kind of feel good scam PR stuff. I don't know. This that definitely sounds like greenwashing because yeah. the actual production and shipping overseas and stuff of things contributes so much pollution, even compared to just fuel consumption. Yeah, it's yeah, I know. uh um, that guy, uh, the YouTube channel Engineering Explained, I think the guy's name is Jason something, Penske or Fenske or something like that. Um, he did like an, a pretty in-depth analysis of like electric cars versus gas cars as far as like the manufacturing and the usage of um, the cars. And he found that, you know, by far the most of most of the emissions comes from driving a car. Um, versus manufacturing, uh, but still, there's a s- significant portion. I think it's what something like a quarter um, of the life of the, or a quarter of the emissions during the life of the vehicle that 
come from manufacturing. Well, ultimately, uh, it's not a, a static thing because the amount of, of resources taken to produce something is, is fixed. And so you have to drive a certain amount of miles before the, uh, like if you, if you drive a vehicle like a million miles, then you'll have offset, have, have produced enough emissions to overcome what it takes to produce it. But, um, yeah, I think you, you said know. with a typical electric car, it was, it was somewhere around 200,000 miles, um, which is a pretty typical lifetime for a car these days, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but don't quote me on those numbers. You know, go check out his video if you want to get the nitty gritty. I guess. Yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll probably do a topic uh, on that at some point because um, it's something I'm interested. Yeah, that in actually is myself. something I want to do a deep dive on. Yeah, yeah. So keep listening to our show. Yeah, definitely. You <laughs> <laughs> you must keep listening to us if you want to know. Don't go we, to anywhere. We are else. the only authorities on this. <laughs> I'm dumber than hell, but I'll read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we are trying this actually does require some some work on our part believe it or not yeah i mean that that jason guy has some kind of an engineering degree so i want to trust him on some stuff at least uh yeah no he, he is good i know i know, I know who i've got like buddies. yeah i've got like half of an engineering degree whatever that counts for there you go which half uh the first half okay yeah not not count for much <laughs> yeah the second half that's really where it right right together um anyway sorry back to uh back to where we where we were whatever um the uh it is notable the um stock market seemed to react pretty pretty positively to this news about them not producing any more um gas or diesel engines after 2035 um so the um, stock price did continue its upward trend. It's currently at 59.82. The only reason I'm mentioning is this is because in our last news episode, when we talked about GM changing their logo, uh, the stock price did spike and I felt as though it was likely to be short lived. Um, I looked at the, uh, I looked at it, it, it kind of bounced around a little bit, but it is now re spiking on this announcement. So, um, chances are, uh, it's going to continue. Hey, if the stock market says it. It must be true. Well, it's not exact. You know, obviously, I'm just noting that you know the market seems to whatever is people are buying their stock based on this news is really what it comes down to. No, they sacrificed some kids to Moloch, and Moloch blessed GM. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, point General being, Motors more like. General Moloch. <laughs> well, they they have clearly pleased the gods. Yeah. Um, like I, I said, I mean, what are they gonna what are they what are they gonna use for the fuel to like uh, burn up infants uh, in the sacrifices to Moloch? Like when when uh, gasoline is outlawed, like are they gonna get like old lithium ion batteries and like puncture them and use that for the fire? Or, or I mean, I'm the sure the, the rich are always gonna have some reserve of this stuff. Okay. They'll always yeah. have what they need to, yeah, to make sacrifices. I actually heard that GM is switching over to um, all electrics so that they can save some gasoline for their sacrifices to Moloch. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They can't just put it all in cars. You know, they got to make the sacrifices, keep the stock prices high. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and, and on uh, that note, it is likely to stay high. Um, as of right now, it, it doesn't look like there's there's no nothing that seems to suggest that it's going to come down anytime soon. So finally, I'm, I'm, stock prices that I can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things that like I'm. You look at this and you're like, okay, well, this is like BS, and this is gonna, you know it's kind of fluffed bullshit and it will come back down. But if you throw enough well-timed fluffed bullshit out there, um, you can kind of keep the momentum going. And that appears to be what's happening there. Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're Um, brilliant at that. Um, Brian, you were going to say something. Yeah. I I also found that, um, that Audi uh, announced their, uh, no longer developing new gasoline engines. Uh, they're going to switch over to electric. And it seems like a lot of companies are announcing this. I mean, we'll see if they follow through with it, but it seems like that's the way that at least the market is going, uh, you know, probably driven by regulations for the most part. Um, regulations, but also just that's going to be the consumer demand. I mean, people mm-hmm. are people new car buyers are going to be increasingly a little more hesitant to buy gasoline powered cars, knowing that, well, it might be getting hard right now. It's hard to find a charging station uh, for your electric vehicle, but soon that's going to flip and it's, it will eventually become difficult to find a, you know, a gas, a gas station or one that has gas or whatever, you know, that, that could, that it's going to probably go up in price. People are starting to wonder if, you know, if now is the time to get the electric vehicle, because who know I don't know what it's going to look like if you own a gas vehicle in the next 10 years. I have no idea. Um, it may become wildly impractical. I don't want to have this uh, conversation because I'm putting big blocks in two of my cars this year. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to, you're going to have to go down to the apothecary and get some benzene. Like, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Ben's the, uh, uh, the wife of, uh, was it Carl Benz? The guy that made the first uh, gasoline-powered car? Uh, 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 yeah, she she was took it on the first road trip ever uh, and had to stop at a uh, pharmacy to get benzene for fuel because no one just sold gasoline. You know? Yo, funny enough, I'm putting a big block in my Cutlass so that I can improve my gas mileage. <laughs> that, because- okay. The 455 Olds makes so much download torque that you can basically like cruise at idle. Okay. Um, well, that makes with, sense. With a one-to-one transmission, like no overdrive, like I've heard accounts of them getting into the low 20s. Not bad for wow. uh, that big of an engine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that that's not common, but I hear 18 is something you can reasonably expect out of a 455 that isn't like crazy overbuilt. Nifty. You know, um, when we were talking on Slack uh, yesterday about, and we were posting all these news stories and stuff, it kind of got me thinking of like, what if there was um, like a, an actual Green New Deal that took effect like today, and um, one of the provisions was no new cars manufactured at all, like not even electric cars, like. And or or maybe even just like taking some of the capacity of manufacturing cars and switching it over to mass transit. Like, what would that look like? And one of the things I was thinking of is like, what if you know Ford or GM or whatever started making trains like light rail or subway trains or whatever? Like, what would those look like? And I started thinking, 
you know, what if they started using car parts or truck parts in these trains? Like you have the cab of the, the, the front end of the train is like a truck cab and like the doors to get in to the, for the passengers are just like car doors on the side of it or whatever. Dude, there was um, some kind of train that got manufactured in England that was supposedly basically a bus on a train chassis. And Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Uh, everything I've heard about them, which is not a lot, but everything I've heard about them made them sound absolutely awful. Like, miserable to be in. Right. I think it was... Um, I don't remember the name of it. I think they talked about it on Well, There's Your Problem. Uh, but it was like some kind of commuter rail for like more rural areas or suburban areas. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with just the infrastructure surrounding those stations and everything was not built up in a very, you know, nice way. It was just like, uh, uh, like a bus shelter in the U S you know, it's like a little shack with three sides on it that you sit in and wait for the train to come by or whatever. Uh, and then the train is like, you know, noisy and smells like diesel and stuff. Yeah, it's everything that you want in a train. <laughs> dude, if but, I want to be on a long train trip, I at least want to get high on the fumes. Oh, uh, dude, I riding the bus, the city bus in Denver. I once got some carbon monoxide poisoning from having the window open a little oh, too God. near the exhaust. Yeah, I showed up to work and I was like, I feel, I feel kind of sleepy and my head hurts and. And my boss is like, why don't you go sit in the break room for a minute and <laughs> see how you're feeling after a minute. Um, so, yeah, I probably lost some brain cells off of that one. And if a bus didn't doesn't do it for me, I'll find another way to kill brain cells. Yeah. But uh, sorry for the little the tangent there. Carbon monoxide poisoning, but I've gone into work drunk a few times. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like operating a hundred and fifty thousand dollar machine while you're hammered. <laughs> yeah, you know they say uh, don't do don't take this while operating heavy machinery. You you were definitely operating heavy machinery, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that was that was at a different time in my life. It was last year, which was technically a different time. <laughs> in my life. Yeah, I mean I've definitely gone into work hungover. Uh, I don't know about drunk, but well, I, I both. Two or three times I've gone into work drunk. It was because I got so hammered the night before. I shouldn't be talking about this on a podcast. Just don't, just don't <laughs> tell your coworkers about it. I don't, don't care, but let's let's. <laughs> I'm just I, th- yeah. There's no reason I need to talk about being like a drunk machinist. I, I don't <laughs> even drink that much. I just overdo it occasionally. It's the way to go sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just don't tell your coworkers you're on this podcast. Oh, my coworkers knew I was drunk. <laughs> it made my boss reminisce about all the times he came to work drunk. <laughs> Sounds oh, like so a great environment. Go. Or all the times he got drunk at work. Even better. Yeah. My, my boss, as far as bosses go, no, no one beats my old boss. Yeah, there was one of my coworkers years ago who got fired because he was coming into work with uh, some whiskey in his uh, like coffee thermos or whatever. So, yeah, no, it apparently happened. it was a daily tradition with some of the old school guys at my work where they would go get drunk at lunch. Oh yeah, actually, that happened at my old boss. I'm at my old job. Uh, 
we would have like an we had an hour for break, and uh, one of my coworkers uh, liked to go to the bar. So, yeah, fun yeah. stuff. Okay, this is my favorite story about how rad that boss was, and then we can move on. One time, uh, they were doing some sketchy shit to one of my coworkers, and we were all like discussing like how we could get the boss, not my like immediate boss, but the owner, to do right. And then my boss walked up. His name was John. And I go, hey, John, if y'all don't take care of Dwayne, uh, we're all going to go on strike. And uh, my boss said, like, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to encourage you, but I've, I've been in your position. So, yeah, you do what you got to do. And then he told us about the time he unionized his previous job. Okay. Well, hey. Yeah, yeah my, my, my boss was a union guy. He was, I, I, I said something about starting a union, and he was like, don't let me get in your way. I don't know. All of my reactionary ass coworkers are in the way. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, that's that is like pretty much as good as a boss you can have, I think. Yeah, when your boss says start a union and all of your coworkers are getting like, yeah, ru- unions ruin this country. I'm like, yeah, I live in the wrong place or the wrong <laughs> era or something. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um. Well, all right. Uh, sorry. Back to the uh, whatever news story we were talking about. Uh, um, where was I? Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Getting back into it. Um, GM uh, did note that they've been for years now shooting for what they call a triple zero vision, uh, and this is, I think, pretty important. Uh, this was like really far down in the article, but. Um, they uh there wasn't ever any real urgency um on on this kind of zero triple zero vision um there was no deadline nothing like that um but they they're kind of marking a shift in that it seems so uh the um triple zero vision would be zero emissions vehicles um and the two other targets have been zero congestion and zero crashes as the second and third vision goals so What this tells us, I think, is actually pretty important. Um, From this, we can gather that GM is absolutely working on um, self-driving technology, which, I mean, shouldn't be that shocking. I'm sure all the manufacturers are working on this, or at least in collaboration with other companies that are. Um, But that's going to be coming soon. Um, Whether that's going to be coming before 2035 or after I, I don't know i'm sure it'll be some slow rollout but um you know for, for anyone wondering i i feel like for car enthusiasts our greatest fear has to kind of be the self-driving technology um i don't know if, if you guys feel the same way but that to me seems like that's going to be um what is actually a real threat to our you know ability to drive be it on regular roads or even at the track. Um, I think that that's, I don't know anything that's fuel injected. So I think we've established my opinion on computers and vehicles. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I don't, I don't see them developing the technology anytime soon that is going to make a, an actual self-driving car. Like, I guess we'll talk about it later, but I found all kinds of, or I think both of us, uh, Connor found a whole bunch of stories of, you know, Tesla's on autopilots crashing into various things. 
Sure. So, um, so this is going to be funny because we're totally going to take like almost a different tone making fun of that shit um, as we should. Um, but realistically, for every one of those, there's a thousand, you know, human beings crashing cars. Um, right. Yeah, definitely. You know, so there's that fact. There's also the technology gets better kind of exponentially um, as these systems learn more and more about driving and road conditions. Um, it, 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 you know, it could be very quick. So it feels like, oh, it's not a concern. It's not a concern. And next thing you know, it's fucking a concern um, is, is kind of where I think things are going to go. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I thought I did think it was worth mentioning the triple zero vision and what that kind of um, indicates is kind of coming down the line here. Yeah, I was really expecting one of the zeros to be zero children left unsacrificed to Moloch. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think they can uh, be open about that, though. It's really yeah, I bet there. they're really shooting for the quadruple zero vision. That would be my guess, yeah. Yeah, they, they can't report that, but yeah, the, the quadruple zero vision is really what they're, what they're after. <laughs> um, I mean, that, and... would be, uh, that would be Audi, wouldn't it, with the, uh, the four zeros on the grill? Yeah, but that makes too much sense. That see, that would be too obvious. They gotta, they gotta be more subtle, I guess. Too obvious or not too obvious enough? Hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like we're uh, we're like conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, looking for the the signs, the hidden fenords or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I mean absolutely. No, I, I don't do that, but I kind of wish I could sometimes. It seems like a, it seems like a fun mystery to solve, um, except, you know, it has all it's not real a world conspiracy. It's a fact. <laughs> With no, a fact with no evidence. 9-11 was an inside joke. Oh, great. 7-Eleven <laughs> was a part-time job. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Um, okay, so 9-11 jokes aside, um, G- GM is already preparing to, uh, re- <laughs> uh, GM is already, God, um, <laughs> okay, I got this, uh, GM is already preparing to ramp up EV production, um, uh, by changing over, uh, three U.S. assembly plants to making EVs, um, the transition of other plants will take place over the next few years, um, so, from this, we're gathering, you know, this will be a pretty um, immediate change for three plants. So uh, I'm sure they've already chosen which plants those are going to be, uh, what's going to be produced there, um, and all the equipment and all that's probably going to be beginning. Uh, if it hasn't already, it will be beginning surely in the next few months. Um, so that's that's coming. That will be obviously affecting real workers. Um, and I don't know how. Um I don't know if that's going to mean, you know, everyone's going to keep their jobs. And in fact, there could be more jobs or it could mean that, you know, somehow they'll find a way to make sure less people have jobs. I don't know. Um, So we'll just kind of have to keep an eye out for that. But uh, yeah, that's what I got on uh, on story number one. (laughs) It's maybe a longer episode. I mean, I think some of these we can kind of breeze through. Probably. Um, Yeah. But anyway, um, our next story in the news, um, 
again, a little bit older, but uh, I think as socialists, we can kind of learn a little bit from this. Um, because uh, I've always kind of been interested in the topic of how can cars play a role in social movements um, in terms of protesting or, you know, all, all sorts of that kind of stuff. Um, and we did see something interesting happen in uh, Myanmar during the um, anti-coup protests. So uh, hopefully our listeners are at least somewhat informed. But in the country Myanmar, which... Uh, was formerly known as Burma, uh, and many claim that, you know, that would be probably the more accurate name for the country, um, was under a military rule for, you know, 50 years or something. They then attempted to transition to some form of democracy, um, or uh, something better than what they had. Um, and during that time, the military was enacting a literal genocide on the Rohingya people. Um, and, of course, the, the democratically elected government wasn't, um, was, was kind of caught in a weird spot and in some ways not doing enough. And, you know, I, we don't know how much they could have done necessarily. I, I don't know the full story, but uh, the situation was really, really bad. Um, anyway, they They're had a recent... Trying to- protest the government by going on strike too, by the way. Um, yeah. So th- this is, I mean, a full mobilization of pretty much the entire population. This, th- so right now, you know, they had this very imperfect um, government that was sort of kind of functioning. Um, but the military recently did enact a coup and they took back over. So uh, that shit is really, really bad. Um, it is not a good sign. And the population there is, um, rightly up in arms, and they are doing everything that they can to uh, put pressure on the new um, military government. Um, unfortunately, they're still in power. Um, but uh, it was notable some of the actions taken by protesters in Myanmar. So uh, opponents in Myanmar of Myanmar, Jesus, opponents of Myanmar's military coup parked their cars in the middle of city streets and on bridges pretending that they had broken down to block police and army trucks moving around to break up protests. So kind of similar to stuff we saw in like um, the protests in Hong Kong where, you know, protesters had put up like they were finding ways to block roads using by like gluing bricks to the, to the ground and stuff. Uh, In this case, this was a coordinated effort for people to just leave cars um, just such that they were blocking the roads. Um, now, it's not exactly like it wasn't like hidden what was happening. Obviously, these cars weren't broken down. Um, and I don't know if they were like completely abandoned cars or, you know, or, you know, if they were, you know, if people were just holding people up. I don't know. Um, but it did seem to be at least an interesting tactic that we can kind of consider um, for future social movements that, you know, hey, uh, roads are, you know, kind of like the uh, the nervous system for any city, you know, where everything's traveling on these roads. If you block them off, um, you can stop, um, you know, repression forces um, from getting around and doing what they need to do, whereas protesters can move pretty much freely um, as long as they're on foot. Now, um, so calls for the uh, for a broken down car campaign uh, spread pretty quickly on social media after um, the military's overnight block on the internet was lifted. 
Um, so numerous, numerous pictures soon appeared of supposedly stalled cars with um, their hoods raised up and they were clogging up the streets. Um, now, uh, they did succeed in um, at least slowing down a lot of the security forces. Um, so they were a real pain in the ass for the authorities. Um, however, they, they did have a side effect, um, and that was that it also slowed down and prevented a lot of protesters from getting to where they needed to be. Um, so, like, once they're in the streets, the protesters are fine and can move freely. Um, but to get millions of people to, you know, any given protest, um, they need to to have a way to get there. And if you're blocking the roads, you can cause some problems there. So, um, obviously I don't, I don't know that we've seen tactics like this used much in the past, but, um, it could be an interesting strategy, especially if, you know, this were a little more targeted in ways that like the cars would supposedly stall only once, you know, security forces were trying to break through or whatever. Um, that would be, you know, that would be an interesting development for this tactic, I think. But, you know, only time will tell. It's just something that we may see. We will probably see this going forward in some way, shape or form. Um, and I think it could have some efficacy. Um, anyway, uh, so one of the other things we saw was uh, there, there's definitely pictures out there now. Um, but tires were also playing a pretty significant role in creating barricades used by the protesters to slow down repression forces. So, um, you know, maybe say in the U.S., I don't know that we would have um, in cities if people would have enough tires laying around to make actual barricades out of them. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that um, it, it's kind of a a, uh, a nuisance garbage product, but... Uh, in terms of making barricades and stopping um, vehicles from going down streets, um, a stack of tires can can really be effective, I would think. Yo, as um, a drift guy, you're basically an armory now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that is definitely true. In fact, I got to start getting rid of them because um, my uh, my dad's going to be moving soon. And he, <laughs> he keeps reminding me, he's like, hey, you got to. You got about twenty tires under the under the porch. You got to get rid of, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got to do something with those. So, um, yeah, given I mean, my I for pit heaps, I'm well prepared for vehicles stalling out. Yeah, beautiful. Except mine would probably stall on the way to go stall. <laughs> <laughs> it would stall in too convenient a place. Like, sorry guys, I want to come stall out with you, but it just won't start at all. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, Connor, have you uh, considered getting rid of those tires by setting them on fire and rolling them towards the cops? I feel like that is the so that's kind of the idea that I'm taking this. Like, I, what we're seeing in Myanmar is a particular new tactic, or maybe it's not new. I don't. It's something I haven't seen before. But we can learn from this, and I think the flaming rolling tire is beautiful. Um, I didn't think of that specifically. I'm not going to pretend that I did, but. You know, things like that where we're using tires or we're using shit heap cars um, or even, you know, could we it's it's not as, you know, crucial, I don't think. But um, I think it might be interesting to see the use of cars and like uh, noise demonstrations, you know, especially people like us who have loud shit box cars. I feel like that could be a fun, a fun way to contribute to uh, demonstrations like that. But uh 
yeah, flaming tires are, you know, especially if you've got the wind on your side or something, that's a, that's a real tactic that we could see <laughs> um, play out. Um, so whether it's, you know, whether yeah. you're, well, that's what you know, they're, uh, uh, I was going to say, that's what they're doing in, um, in Haiti right now, protesting against the, uh, the president who is refusing to leave at the end of his term. Um, you know, other people have covered that better, but it's a, it's an interesting movement going on right now. It's kind of like, you know, if Donald Trump had, uh, you know, said, Oh, the election wasn't valid. I'm still president basically is what's going on there. And, uh, the U S government is backing him up, uh, and saying, that's right. Your, your term is, uh, is actually ending next year, uh, because of some technicality. So, uh, Oh, I re- yeah, yeah, I remember hearing. I can't remember what the exact technicality was, but it was preposterous. You're just like, no, yeah. I didn't think it was that preposterous. <laughs> no. Like the election, like I don't think that he has any right to stay in office. But his reasoning is is real, from what I remember. Wasn't it something like the uh, election, or like he, he he got into office like way late? Yeah, because basically his um his election was contested. Um, right. Okay. Because he it, he probably got a lot of votes uh, in a fraudulent way, um, because he was the U.S. backed candidate. Yeah, the um, thing was though was just that like it is very clearly spelled out in their constitution that it, it kind of doesn't matter if it, he got started late. His yeah his his uh, uh, term ends at a certain day. Right. Like, yeah. So he's just like nah, psych. Well, yeah. And so like we, we saw a similar playing around by like Donald Trump to be like, oh, well, you know, they tried to impeach me for two years, so I should get an extra two years kind of thing. It's that kind of reasoning where it's like, I'm sorry, your tournament. I don't give a shit. Oh, it started late. Well, that sucks. I guess you're going to have the short term of all the presidents. You'll be known throughout. Yes, history you should have done him. a good enough job to get reelected. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, you know, it's just it's not good. <laughs> So, um, anyway, um, so protests in cities, uh, across the Southeast Asian country, uh, were some of the biggest since, uh, daily demonstrations began on February 6th. So, um, yeah, this was, this started obviously weeks and weeks ago. Um, things are still going pretty strong. Um, and, uh, unfortunately the coup government does obviously still remain in power, um, but protesters do continue to exert pressure on them, you know, including up to today. Um, so, so far, uh, unfortunately, and this is this is a pretty grim statistic, um, at least 235 people that we know of have been killed. So that's pretty fucking bad. Yeah, um, they're using live rounds on protesters there. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like, I think we as leftists kind of have to take a moment and like let that sink in that obviously like in the u.s things are quote-unquote different but like just we all have to understand that if our social movements become enough of a threat if we reach a critical mass um the same will happen here i mean they will they will absolutely use live live rounds on us um, we don't just think that the cops aren't just waiting for that day ex- well, i mean they've they've kind of already done that like there's there's tons of uh, Black Lives Matter activists who have ended up um, dead by quote suicide yep. in their cars, which were set on fire, uh, and you know basically all signs point to local cops uh, p- 
pulling them over, shooting them, and setting their cars on fire to destroy the evidence. Oh, so, yeah. Like, I've always said that if I kill myself, first, I'm going to douse my car in gasoline and tie my hands behind my back, shoot myself in the head, <laughs> and then set my car on fire. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That, I mean, really, that's... traditional American suicide, you know? Yeah. We have a lot of that in this country, for sure. Um, so, yeah. No, we, that's... That's the cops hunting down specific people, um, which, I mean, is awful. And in some ways it is worse. But like also we have to remember that if we get to a point where we're nearing actual revolutionary potential in this country or just even social movements that are too much of a nuisance, um, we haven't even gotten to live rounds yet. Um, So like. We see bad repression in, the, in in the U.S., but like we still haven't even reached having live ammunition used against us, and you know that that's still an option for the state. So, um, oh, Myanmar they they did not even try using less than lethal rounds. They they went straight to live rounds. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit different. I mean, they're they're literally a, a military junta. That's that's what they do. Um, but you know, sometimes I think we're, we're not really, we're kind of getting closer and closer to that in, in the U S too, even, um, just that's, that is just the forces of reaction are always willing to enact that kind of violence. And, you know, I think we have to be, we kind of have to be honest with where things, where things are going and like just how bad things can get from where they are now. Um, we're, well, we're, we're safe now because we have notorious Marxist-Leninist Joe Biden in office. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so back to let me finish off this this stat. Um, so at least 235 people have been killed. Um, more than 2,330, uh, including some journalists, have been arrested in the violent crackdown. So that number isn't quite as high as I would expect it actually. But um, this article did not mention um, how many people um, have been uh, like injured. So it's, it's likely much, much higher than the 235. So, um, you know, if there's two over 2000 people who've been arrested, I mean, I I could easily see a thousand or more being seriously injured. Um, So things are bad there, but, we we should at the very least be learning from the kinds of tactics we're seeing there and the kinds of resistance that the people in Myanmar are, are doing. So um, we can we can definitely learn a thing or two. Um, a lot of people in America have vehicles and those vehicles can be a real pain in the ass for um, the state or whoever else, you know, we may be um, taking action against. So just something noteworthy there, at least. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Burnouts are for the revolution. Exactly. I am very pro doing burnouts to stop the state. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I heard a couple years ago some rumblings of, um, I forget what the, the issue was, something to do with some regulation regarding trucking. A bunch of truckers threatened to, uh, you know, park their trucks on a freeway around D.C. somewhere and and block traffic or something like that. But I don't think anything ever came of it. Well, that yeah, has they, happened before. Yeah, it's okay. happened before. 
they yeah, I, they that, talk that about it that. pretty often. At least once a year, I see something like that kind of pop up. But um, generally, things don't really ever come to fruition um, lately. But it has happened in the past, mostly when you know most truckers were um, more at least more involved in unions than they are now. Right. Yeah. Well, that was before they realized that ru- that unions were ruining this country. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, so um, in other, you know, news kind of still in the um, in the Asia area, um, it is, you know, more bad news, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so Japan's Ebisu circuit uh, suffers heavy damage after an earthquake rocks uh, the coast of Fukushima. So um, recently, a 7.3 magnitude earthquake uh, rocked the coast of Fukushima prefecture. I don't know what that actually means, but uh, area, I assume. <laughs> uh, the earthquake left over 100 people injured and caused massive infrastructure damage. Uh, one of the areas hit hard was the Ebisu circuit, a beloved circuit for drift vans. Um, I don't believe anyone was actually killed in this earthquake, so that's at least... A- Did you say drift vans? <laughs> um, actually, there may, there may... I think there are some, like, little yeah. drift vans. Like, that's uh, a- Dajivan. That's a big subculture in Japan where they get full-size Dodge no, no. vans. I-, I know about this. I was just making sure that's what I heard you say. No, it's... Well, it's not. I said drift fans. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so drift they fans. they do drift bands in Japan. They yeah. do. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, so, the the earthquake triggered landslides, uh, including the one at Episode Complex, uh, around the area, and, al- and almost a million homes were without power for, for quite some time. Um, so, a lot of this, the damage was caused by the actual landslides that that happened because of the earthquake. Um, so we'll, we'll probably link something in the show notes, but um, I'm sure a lot of listeners have already seen the pictures. Um, so the Ebisu like complex, which is made up of, I believe seven tracks for different things here and there. Um, there's like three main drift tracks though. Um, and then there's some skid pads and, and all that good stuff. But um, it, it's, it's kind of situated in like, in this mountainous area. And so there's like one of the tracks, um, one or more, I'm not sure, um, is like up probably one or 200 feet of elevation change. Um, so it's like up there, it's still part of the same complex, but like there, so right at the edge of that track, um, the landslide kind of started. And so like, it just cascaded down this, like, mountainside and a bunch of fucking rubble landed into um what i think is the the main like biggest drift track that like they're known for um so the pictures are pretty like you know you look at them and you're you can see like these aerial photos and it's like it is pretty substantial damage like it was it was a big fucking deal um yeah when i when i first saw that photo it was kind of hard to process at first i was like well that's weird why would they build a track where it just uh you know, suddenly stops right there. And I'm like, Oh shit, that all that dirt is, is not supposed to be there. You know, that, yep. That whole side of the hill just slid down and covered, you know, a good portion of the track. Yep. So 
Yep. So it's. I think that we can all agree that this is unequivocally the worst thing that's ever happened to Fukushima. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, not not quite, but um, yeah, it, it's. No, I don't recall anything else bad having ever happened there. <laughs> well, so um, the the uh, same one here. Um, the uh, uh, excuse me. Um, well, all right, let me let me kind of finish up. But yes, the last earthquake in 2011 in Fukushima um, did also damage the Ebisu circuit again, and most notably the uh, nuclear reactor there. Um, so obviously, we all know that caused some some, some problems there. But um, nestled about four hours from Tokyo uh, in the mountains, the Ebisu circuit is not just a singular track, but a complex consisting of seven circuit tracks and two skid pads. Uh, so the um, the damage, uh, a lot of the damage was on the Driftland circuit, which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one most known for um, drifting. Um, so the track is most known for drifting, but obviously does hold other motorsports like go-karts and open-wheel racers and stuff. Um, and sadly, this is not the first time that the circuit has had to kind of dig itself out after an earthquake. Um, so like I mentioned, the one in 2011, um, did also damage it and i didn't know this but apparently it actually left the circuit in worse shape um so you know that's i guess promising in a way that you know they've they've dealt with worse before but uh also that kind of sucks um so i don't know how that's going to affect uh recovering going forward um now, um, for, for any listeners that are interested, uh, there is a GoFundMe set up to assist in bringing the track back. Um, right now, they are they are closed for the foreseeable future. Um, that's just you know where where things are that they're they're not like putting out oh we'll be back in a year or something. Um, that they're pretty solidly um, closed for for quite a while. Um, but there is a GoFundMe. Um, you can I'm sure find it pretty easily if you go you know, searching up Ebisu, um, if you want to help. Um, I feel kind of weird about, you know, giving to ostensibly a capitalist enterprise, um, that probably has insurance or, you know, money to fix stuff. Um, especially when there's mutual aid projects and, um, actual more, more worthy causes, I think. But if you're interested, they do have a GoFundMe, feel free to look it up and, and donate. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I got on that. Um, it is pretty unfortunate, but you know that's that's life, I guess. Um, and of course, uh, that couldn't be all of the sad news. Um, in in other sad news, um, I believe it was just this week. Um, Sabine Schmitz um, has has unfortunately passed away um, at age fifty one due to. Um, a, a pretty long, drawn-out uh, battle with cancer. Um, so she was a former uh, race car driver for BMW and Porsche. Um, she is the, uh, I think, the only woman who has ever won the 24-hour race at the Nuremberg Ring. Um, so, you know, a very big women, woman in motorsports and obviously hugely influential figure. Um, she was also a, uh, top gear presenter. Um, so after, you know, the, uh, the three hosts that we all know, Jeremy, uh, Hammond and 
Richard? God, it's been so long since I watched that show. Anyway, ever since they left um, in 2016, she became a presenter on the show as well. Um, so yeah, she was sort of part time when they were still figuring things out, I believe. Uh, but she was, you know, on there maybe once or twice a season for like a specific thing. Um, yeah. And she was she was in the show. She was on the show um, sometimes with uh, Clarkson and those guys like. I think on one of the older ones, um, she was coaching Clarkson on the Nürburgring on driving it and uh, basically said, you know, you're going so slow. I could beat you driving a van. And then she did. Uh, She was driving like a diesel Ford transit van or something like that. And I think put down a pretty respectable time of around 11 minutes. Um, So that goes to show just knowing the track that well as as well as she does goes a long way towards uh well and just her driving skill you know um towards beating a superior car i think jeremy was in uh what was it a jaguar or jaguar or whatever yeah something like that yeah that's what it was or something like that and of course she she i think it was she she also did race the same jaguar and i'm pretty sure beat his time by like 40 seconds or something too yeah is, is no small feat. And I believe um, she actually like grew up at the Nürburgring because, because her parents uh, run a restaurant or um, maybe like yeah. a bed and breakfast uh, in the area where a lot of the racers stay. So she basically had access to the track from an early age and learned uh, the track very well from that. Yep. Yep. Um, she did. Uh, she did become known as the queen of the Nuremberg ring. Uh, and she estimated that she had driven the track around more than 20,000 times. Wow. Yeah. 20,000. Um, that is absurd. Um, you know, yeah. So take that for what it is. That's pretty fucking incredible. Um, so, uh, she was obviously, um, and, and kind of through the articles that I was reading and there's a lot of tributes out there. So if you are interested at all, um, feel free to look at those tributes. Um, but she was clearly beloved by fans and by her peers, uh, in the racing world. Um, and obviously being a personality on top gear is, um, I, I think pretty big. Um, and for, for a, a woman to be in that prominent role, I think was, was probably like hugely influential in, um, getting a lot of other women and girls into, you know, a passion for cars and, and racing. Um, and it sucks that uh, she is not there to do that anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I forget the name, but there was a, a Formula 3 driver, uh, a woman who said, you know, that she was directly inspired by Sabine Schmitz to get into motorsports. So, yeah, yeah definitely she was a, a big influence. Yep, yep. I don't really so, know a lot about her, but, I mean, you know, good, good on her for you know, succeeding in, in doing that. Uh. Yeah. Especially in a, a pretty, you know, a pretty male dominated um, sphere. She, she really did kick a lot of ass. So, I mean, you know, fuck it. Good on her. Um, it, it is, it is a tough loss. And I think it is a tough loss for um, any woman in, in the, you know, racing world, I, I think. So sad news. Um, she will clearly be missed. Um, but, yeah, it seems like we lost a legend this this past week. Um, 
Now, uh, on to our, our, our next kind of story um, is going to be, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the discussion, um, tes- a Tesla on autopilot slams into Michigan State Police patrol car. So uh, I am kind of cheering for that. Awesome. Good praxis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, police say a Tesla sports car uh, in autopilot mode slammed into the back of a Michigan State Police Patrol car stopped on a Lansing area freeway early on Wednesday. Well, it's not Wednesday anymore, but it's probably a week or two ago. Whatever. Um, recently. Um, so the obviously the driver was in the car. I don't know doing what, but we all know that Tesla's got this like self-driving autopilot mode. Um, it's not perfect, but generally pretty decent. Um, but this uh, this cop was investigating a car slash deer crash on I-96 uh, near Waverly Road in Eaton County around 1.10 a.m. So middle of the night, the cop is, I don't know if they were stopped like in a, an actual driving lane investigating this crash, but I, I think they were almost certainly like not on the shoulder. I think they were actually like in the road. Um, so this person was obviously going fast and I don't know, the Tesla didn't react quick enough or something, or maybe the lights freaked it out. I don't know, but that, that system that's supposed to be pretty fucking good. Didn't, didn't work. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know the reason, but, um, I'm going to go ahead uh, on the record and say, it's probably because Elon Musk is a stupid butthead and fuck him. (laughs) That's, that's probably why. The technology failed because he's an asshole. So that's not parody. That's me stating facts. You do know the specific reason why you're correct about that, right? Please inform me. I know I'm correct, but please. Um, so I don't remember the specifics because I, I didn't like research this right beforehand, but there's a couple of different types of like systems that they use to monitor the surroundings of self-driving cars. Yeah. And the one that Elon Musk insists that they use is the one that everyone else has abandoned because it's just not good for the job. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but he's such a that. genius. He's such a well, I mean, a brain it's, genius. <laughs> it's it's one of those like I don't remember the specifics, but my my general impression was like it would probably work fine. It's just going to be a lot more hurdles to overcome than the systems that like Uber and whoever else have been using. Oh, but, there's yeah, a, he yeah. just insisted that they stick with it. So, so, okay, there you go. That's, that's, that's something I'm sure that warrants a deep dive on some future episode, um, which, you know, our, our show is mostly, if our listeners haven't figured it out, our show is mostly consisting of us saying that this thing that we're talking about would make a good deep dive episode later. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see if we follow up on any of them. <laughs> okay, so uh, it most self-driving cars are using LiDAR technology, which I don't know anything about. Don't ask. Um, it's like a laser uh, range finding, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's similar to radar, but LiDAR. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Tesla refuses to use it, even though everyone else is sort of viewing it as, as the path forward for, for uh, the sensors that they're using to monitor the surroundings 
Uh, but see, everyone knows a go- a really good head engineer doesn't learn from what other people are getting to work. <laughs> a good engineer makes sure that the system that they decided upon using several years ago before the technology was well understood is the one that they fucking use. That's what, what engineers was the famous do. Einstein quote? If I saw further than those before me, it's because I'm really tall. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, the, um, the impact of this crash, uh, tore the passenger side front wheel off the Tesla and caused significant damage to the patrol car. Um, Michigan state police say that unfortunately the trooper was not, uh, injured and neither was the driver. Um, it's kind of a joke, but you know, fuck Yo, let me go back to, to the, the LIDAR thing real quick. Cause I just did a, a real quick, quick skim of it and found a, a, a pretty clutch Elon quote about it. Oh, perfect. So most people are using LiDAR, but what Tesla is using is actually a weird AI that is trying to train the car to understand the visual world around it, similar to the way that human eyes do. Um, mm. So you're having to do AI programming instead of whatever much simpler thing LiDAR is using. Here's the actual quote from Elon Musk. LIDAR is a fool's errand, and anyone (laughs) relying on LIDAR is doomed. (laughs) I mean, look, AI is probably a good thing to go forward, but there's no reason you can't, like, double up and, like, make sure you have, you know, teach the AI LIDAR is what, like, what the fuck is the... Do both. LIDAR is an expensive system to put on cars. Oh, uh, it's not go. something you can teach. It requires like all of the hardware for it. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably not going to. Something tells me that quote is not going to age well. I mean, nothing Elon Musk says really ages that well. True. Not that people who love him ever go back and look at any of that. Um. Anyway, so the uh, the 22 year old Lansing man who was driving the Tesla uh, did receive a couple tickets for failing to move over for an emergency vehicle and driving on a suspended license. Um, so, I mean, I think that's kind of funny because he wasn't driving. He had the self-driving, the autopilot was driving. So I don't know. I don't even think he should get tickets. I think he should mail those tickets over to Elon Musk's house and say, Hey bro, um, think you should be taking care of these. Um, and if I were him and, He's probably got some money, I would assume, given what he's driving. Um, yeah, I'd probably take that to court. Yeah, I know? think they were they were talking about this on uh, the Smoking Tire podcast uh, a little while ago. Which Fuck um, them, really? God damn, we're too late. Well, we're too late. Pack I, it up. <laughs> and, I mean, it's a it's a decent podcast uh, if you want to listen to a literal capitalist that owns uh, a Porsche, a Ferrari, and a Lamborghini. Um, Who wants to listen to that? But um, they were saying, like, basically, the law is such that if you're in the driver's seat, you're operating the car and you're responsible for whatever happens to it. Yeah, no, Um, I I agree with that. That's probably, I mean, realistically, that is probably true. Because it's like, hey, you're sitting there. Don't let the car crash, you fucking idiot. Take over. Turn the wheel. I don't know, but don't crash. Yeah. So I do get that. but still, you know, it's, you know, yeah, honestly, it, it negates the only reason that I would respect self-driving cars because it means I still can't get fucking shit hammered and let the car drive me home. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and I found <laughs> I found a couple uh, stories that were like that. Um, oh yeah, you definitely yeah. get a DUI for that. Yeah. So, um, Connor, when you posted this news story, I was like, "Huh, I seem to remember seeing that." Uh, but I thought that the the car was a different color. So I I went looking and I found like five different incidents where Teslas have crashed into cop cars. Um, Wait, so, was it specifically cop cars, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So um, one in North Carolina, uh, Tesla with autopilot hits cop car. Driver admits he was watching a movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, the Mercury News in Arizona, Tesla on autopilot hits police vehicle, which hits ambulance <laughs> uh, driver, possibly drunk. So uh, points for hitting the cop car uh, demerits for hitting the ambulance. Um, yeah. And then um, another one, I'm not sure. I think it was in Massachusetts. Uh, Tesla that hit mass state troopers vehicle was on autopilot. Um, and then there's another one. I forget where that one was. So yeah, this happens quite often. Um, it sounds to me like Teslas are so advanced that their AI has found Jesus and is trying to drive the owners into the light. <laughs> well, and there's um, there's one article I think we'll link in the show notes. Uh, I'll try and remember this. Um, where the the it's from Road and Track. the The article is kind of not a lot of substance to it, but there's a video in there of this guy just put a dash cam basically in his Tesla and turned on the, the full, what they call full um, self-driving, but is not actually full self-driving, you know? Um, and it's, it's pretty terrible. Like it just, he's just driving around like a downtown area. I want to say it's like Pasadena or something. And um, you know, he has to like grab hold of the wheel or, or, you know, use the pedals or whatever. Um, pretty often, like almost once a block, you know, in this like 15 minute long video or something. So yeah, they're, they're not the, it's the technology is not quite there is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to get there, um, eventually, but yeah, not, definitely not there right now. Um, so, uh, moving on, I, I, I got just a couple more here. Um, but uh, this I thought was actually really fucking funny. Um, and again, kind of just goes to the point that, um, you know, really uh, the United States judicial system is really in place just to protect um, corporate interests for the most part. Um, so uh, a Michigan court rules that a tire rotation does not include tightening lug nuts. So that's uh, almost an onion head. Onion-esque headline. <laughs> but, um, so uh, they kind of start off. Uh, when you get work done on your vehicle, you expect your car to be returned in better condition than when you left it, which seems pretty obvious. Um, going to the shop for something especially as simple as a tire rotation is pretty pretty normal and standard. Um, so I guess, you know, with a tire rotation, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is you basically take the wheels from the front and put them in the back and the back wheels in the front um you might crisscross them you might not whatever um personally i don't ever do tire rotations myself partially because i'm on you know non-matching wheels and totally different tires because of all the drifting and whatnot and 
you know, they, my tires are always in various states of, um, wear. So I don't even bother with that. Um, so it's not something I do, but, uh, maybe tire rotations are important. I, I have really no idea. Um, all of my vans have open rears, so I always just have one bald tire. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I guess, so this happened uh, in 2013 um, as part of yet another fucking huge indictment of our justice, quote unquote, justice system. Um, so this happened in 2013 um, where obviously someone's car got fucked up and this went through the courts and of course the company gets a chance to appeal the decision which initially did not go in their favor um and then so this just recently now what are we eight years later a court rules that oh no no, no they, they're not actually responsible um for this damage which is especially funny because uh, presumably the awards were already given in the first court case now i don't know how this works out. Like if you spend the money and they like sue, I I guess you have to pay them back if it's found to be not their fault on a, on, you know, a redo for the corporation. Um, or you just have to like, while it's in court, you're just like, Oh, well they, we want all this money, but we can't fucking use it because we might lose it. I don't, I don't know. That just seems fucking crazy to me. Um, also, if you're just like a tire tech, isn't the Ugga Dugga like your favorite thing in the world? Why wouldn't <laughs> you do that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so apparently, um, God, just lost my spot. Um, sorry. So in 2013, the car dealership Ugga Dugga joke. Fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> no, surprisingly not. Um, in 2013, the car dealership was sued regarding a tire rotation. Uh, a couple had taken their car to a dealership in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, they were getting some just regular maintenance done, uh, and they had included a um, tire rotation as part of that maintenance. So after the service was quote-unquote complete, they drove off uh, a little ways down the road uh, before the front left tire uh, decided to uh, pop off the off the car. Um, so this fucked, it, this fucked its shit right up. Um, I don't... It doesn't go technically into exactly... speaking. It fucked its shit up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, be yeah. The the technical term. Um, so the uh, they went back. The mechanic admitted, "Oh fuck, you know, I forgot to tighten the lug nuts, whatever." And the couple sued the dealership for damages, rightfully so, because um, their car was completely fucked by this. Um, one of the points that their attorney made was uh, in reference to the Motor Vehicle Service and Repair Act. Uh, which this law protects consumers from, quote unquote, unfair and deceptive practices. Um, so turns out if you violate the act, you are responsible for the damages and the court fees. Duh. Um, the court originally found the dealership and the mechanic guilty and fined them. Uh, and the jury made the dealership pay cover the court fees, which totaled over $70,000. And another indictment of our, quote unquote, justice system. Uh, and awarded the couple 40000 in damages, presumably for the price of the car. So this kind of indicates to me that the car was almost certainly totaled. Um, oh, and yeah. yeah, so notably that they're, you know, it is notable that their insurance isn't involved here, uh, suing on their behalf. So I don't know what that means exactly, but, you know, it was probably just their vehicle involved. So like they probably didn't crash into anyone else or anything like that. Um, it seems that it's just 
it, it, it fucked the car up enough that, you know, they needed a new one or, or they were pissed off enough and said, fuck you. Now we're going to sue you for 40,000 instead of you just fixing it. I don't know. I don't, I'm on their side either way. Uh, the, so obviously the couple had won, they got their payment and then the dealership appealed the decision and stated that they did not violate the motor vehicle service and repair act. Uh, the dealership claimed that they did not quote unquote, and here's the part of the law that they're challenging. They did not charge for repairs that are in fact not performed, which is not the fucking point. I, I as far as I can tell, it's like, you, you know, no one said that. It's just that you didn't complete the fucking job. You said you did. So you know, um, the court decided to take another look at the case and determined that rotating the tires did not include tightening of the lug nuts as part of the job. The court stated, we conclude under the plain language of a bunch of letters and numbers, you can look it up yourself, uh, that defendants, quote unquote, performed a tire rotation, albeit negligibly or ne- exclu- excuse me, negligently. Uh, There is no support for the trial court's determination that a tire rotation is not performed if a service person fails to sufficiently tighten the lug nuts on one tire. So this will be a huge problem in Michigan um, very quickly, because, of course, if um, if you say took your engine into the shop for a rebuild and they forgot to put one of your pistons in, um, you're shit out of luck because they could still say, Oh, I mean, we took it apart and we changed all the gaskets and we rebuilt the motor. It's got all new bearings. I don't know what your fucking deal is. We rebuilt the motor. Sorry, we forgot something. Um, And imagining an engine with like seven pistons and eight rods. Yes, that's exactly what I... (laughs) You got one rod just helicoptering around in the fucking crank. That's exactly why I chose that example because it's so absurd, but by exactly the same reasoning of these fucking great legal minds, uh, they that's not inc- that wouldn't have to be included because you could just separate any particular part of a given job arbitrarily. I might add, you can just say, "Oh, well, that part of the job isn't required for the job to have been done." Like, I can, you know, change. I can do, you know, I can change out my. Uh, differential just fine but who cares if i don't put one of my uh one of my uh um axles back in i still i still did the job and it's like but you didn't um so of course more absurdity in 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 our legal system um unfortunately uh, these poor people are paying the price for that so i don't know if they have to just like pay back all the money or what but that's a that's a rough determination there um so yeah, that pretty. Just, I I like cannot even wrap my head around the reasoning for this. No, yeah, no, it's because it's obscene. something to spec, not part of the fucking job. I'm it, guessing it, exactly. I'm guessing these lawyers have don't even know what a lug nut is. Like, they just think that wheels are held on by I don't know magical Magic. sticky Magic. tape or something. I don't know what. <laughs> a room um, full of people who don't know the term torque spec. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, it's just an absurd case, um, which kind of just, it, it may, does make me, uh, remind me of a, another fun podcast that I'll plug, um, because that's what our podcast is really just a chance for us to plug other podcasts. Um, the five to four podcast, if anyone's listening to that, um, where they investigate old Supreme court cases and just talk about how fucking ridiculous they are. 
Yeah, that's um, what scares the shit out of me about this. It's not how absurd it is. It's that it sets a precedent. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's that's almost always how it happens. And like, If it were just ridiculous, that would suck for that one individual, but haha, whatever. No, this just means that nobody in Michigan has to be held responsible for doing flimsy work now. Oh, exactly. And so this is... It, it, that's why I'm kind of plugging like the five to four podcast because they kind of go through all these cases to show that, hey, all this legal bullshit, that's exactly what it is. It's bullshit. They work backwards from a conclusion. They want corporations to not have to be held liable for shitty outcomes. So they find some bullshit re- legal reasoning to support them. And, and that's you see that in the you know the U.S. Supreme Court. You see that in every state Supreme Court. You see that in district court courtrooms all the time. They set precedent. They have these le- these absurd, ridiculous conclusions. But of course, corporate lawyers know all of those precedents and they use them, you know, all the way. And so yeah. um, that is it, it is a long process how that happens. Um, but it is very unfortunate. We do. We live with the results every day of our lives. And this is just one more of those. Um, so. Yeah, it's it'll probably get pretty fucking absurd and cause all sorts of problems for other businesses and poor people getting fucked over by um, negligent corporations. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty unfortunate. Um, Also, quickly, I mean, this is more of a rumor than a it is what it is. It's a story, but maybe it'll give us all some hope. Uh, Apparently, Subaru and Toyota are uh, apparently developing a all-wheel drive hot hatch together. Um, so that could be kind of fun. Um, obviously, they the two work together on the old FRS and BRZ slash GT86 um, for Toyota. Um, so they made that little rear-wheel drive um, sports car. The two are kind of diverging now, but um, apparently uh, this new car um, could be Subaru's uh, window to kind of get back into the world rally championship because they kind of notably um, uh, abandon those endeavors in the past few years. Um, so this might be kind of a way back in, um, which I assume is, you know, to help their marketing and whatnot, um, of course, which is fine, whatever. Uh, racing school. Um, according to Japanese language car news site, uh, Best Car Web, Uh, Subaru and Toyota are jointly developing a new Impreza-sized hot hatch with horizontally opposed engine and symmetrical all-wheel drive. Uh, The report does say that the car is expected to debut in November of 2022. So it's a little ways off, but um, it it could be something interesting. Um, And a hot hatch is, you know, I remember the old, um, you know, WRX and STI um, hatches from like the 20 what, 2010 to 2013 or 14 era, um, which I think Zach has. Um, that's his WRX. That's like my favorite body style, and this could be similar to that. Yeah, and it looks like uh, Zach is with us now. Um, hi, Zach. Hi. Yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> I don't want to just yeah, really drop in, but yeah, that's, um, that's very promising. I love it. I'd love to hear it. I uh, I would trade my WRX for a new uh, WRX hatchback equivalent in an instant. I absolutely love them. So that's, yeah. that's super you heard nice. it here. Yeah. So it, this could be a pretty exciting um, kind of thing, which is why I'm mentioning it. Um, they're saying, you know, this could be part of 
again, their, their opportunity to get back into the WRC, um, the, you know, rally racing and all that. Um, so we'll see if that happens or not. Um, but could be cool either way. Um, just something I wanted to mention. Uh, and then I do have this kind of longer story, but it, it can actually be boiled down pretty simply. Um, this week, um, uh, Tesla cars were banned from China's military complexes on security concerns, quote unquote. Um, the Chinese were citing that, hey, look, these ca- these cars have all sorts of cameras and stuff. And, you know, they, they do pose some security threat to their military bases, because we all know with growing U.S. aggression, they have to be careful. Um, whether that's the real reason or not is who knows. Um, I wouldn't put it above the CIA to pull some shit like that and to be clumsy about it. But at the same time, if the CIA did want to get around this, they would probably find some Chinese produced car to steal data from or, you know, have a an informant use. So it's it would only slow down um, anyone from getting information that they didn't want. Um, it wouldn't stop it, but um, it, it could quite it could also be that um, China's kind of doing this to Tesla to put them in the vice, um, kind of like the U.S. has done to the Huawei Corporation, um, where they're, you know, doing a bunch of, you know, shit to stop them from getting more telecom contracts and stuff. So, you know, the U.S. has been punishing Huawei, one of uh, probably, I think they're the largest telecom company in the world, um, at least the biggest one in China. Um, so it does seem that China is kind of doing the same thing back to Tesla. Um, it may have a, uh, serve a dual purpose, but, um, that seems to be kind of the long and short of it. Um, yeah, dude, I want to so, read more about this because I, I'm really fascinated and horrified by like the ramping up cold war. And yeah. this, this, you could come at this from about a half a dozen different angles and it, it could be any one of a number of things. It, it could be like that straightforward on its face. It could be like, half made up and some journalist is trying to like rally people against fucking China because they like Elon Musk or any one of a number of different things. Yeah. That's hard to suss out the truth when people are reporting on China. Yeah. I, to be honest, I like, I'm trying to keep this one kind of short because I don't think we're going to know the truth really. I mean, we know that the U S is ramping up their bullshit on China. We know that uh, we're seeing that in our media um, all over the place. Um, but we also know that the U S has put their, a lot of their companies into an economic vice. And now China could just be flexing and pointing out that, Oh, Hey, yeah, we've got a lot of your companies by the balls too, which uh, I'm, I'm happy if they start flexing that a bit more. Cause you know, that's the whole point behind a lot of the, um, Chinese policies that I would maybe criticize for not being socialist enough kind of the whole idea is, well, if they get this kind of control, they can exert force on U.S. companies. And I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that a little bit more. So it could be that. It could be all kinds of things. Um, so we don't really know. I just, I did think it was notable that, you know, China has made the decision to um, come out and say that Teslas are not allowed on their bases and you know, to take that pretty drastic action, um, whether it's founded or not in, in any real threat i don't know but it is significant Wait, news how prominent is tesla in china 
So in China, Tesla sold 147,405 cars in uh, just the last year. So 30%. That's surprising because honestly, I didn't think Tesla had even made that many cars yet. (laughs) I know, me neither. (laughs) Zing! Yeah. Um, So uh, it did account for 30% of its total deliveries. Um, Now, this is notable. Competition is growing from domestic rivals such as Neo Inc. and Geely. So there are Chinese companies making electric vehicles, uh, and they are increasingly uh, more competitive and in many cases, much less expensive. So that could be another angle to this story. So um, kind of keeping it short and sweet, but um, there's something boiling um, going on there, um, and w- we'll kind of see how it works out. Um, it could just be a lot of bluster and typical geopolitics on an international scale of you know tit for tat. BS. Yeah, I didn't realize there were so many Teslas in China because one of my thoughts was like that it was sort of just a bluster kind of move. Like, oh, well, when y'all do get some cars over here. But this no, literally there's... will affect Tesla very directly. Um, so, you know, and they're now the article also mentioned that they're looking to have like military officials and stuff kind of not use Teslas and move to other domestically produced cars. Uh, so there's all sorts of um, international, political, economic factors here. I don't think we're going to necessarily know the truth of exactly what's going on, but it is notable that uh, they have taken this this move. Um, now, apparently, Musk is scheduled to speak online on Saturday. So I guess that's yesterday from when we're recording. Whatever. Um, uh, in a state-hosted annual global economic gathering in Beijing uh, called the China Development Forum. So um, I guess if you're a listener and you're particularly in, in, um, interested in what's going on in China and this and that, um, you can probably find that uh, China Development Forum. Um, so the uh, event will include some Chinese officials as well as Elon Musk. So um, yeah, you can look into that if you'd like. But um, yeah, I just thought it was important news to mention at the very least. Yeah. And I think Tesla was looking into building a factory in China uh, because they are, that's like their number two market right now. Wow. I did. Okay. I did not know all that. Yeah. They have at least one plant in Shanghai. Um, Okay. I'm pretty sure they actually have a couple of plants in China and one of their big, whatever they call them, giga plants or whatever the fuck um, is is in China. So just fuck that um, guy. Jesus. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, so here's the thing. Um, Part of the whole, um, we'll say socialist strategy that China claims to be pursuing um, in which they do get some rapid industrialization and they do actually con- compete on the world capitalist markets um, using their whatever. Um, you know, I don't mind them having that kind of um, some, some control over an Elon Musk and being able to kind of um do that a little bit but like i said i I don't fully i don't know yet this is a pretty early story this came out just this week um from reuters so you know we'll see kind of how this story develops and obviously how the continuing cold war uh rhetoric continues to um ramp up in the next few months and years and uh this kind of reminds me of i i think it was around last year um i forget the name of the app but there was this um, there's this app for like checking 
like tracking your workout, your run or whatever. Um, and uh, a bunch of like U.S. military personnel were using this app while they were going for their, their runs, like their morning PT uh, at military bases. And some of these military bases were secret, you know, installations that they didn't really want to know, want everyone to know where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but this app was basically broadcasting, you know, Lieutenant so-and-so was running in this route, <laughs> which happens yeah, to bad. be the, the perimeter of the base, you oh, know, that was in... where it wasn't even spy. It was like a social media aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Runs. And from that, you could suss out the perimeter of the base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a bunch of people were using this app to like draw like giant dicks on the landscape with their runs, you know? So it was kind of, kind of a goofy thing, but like, you know, the U S military took it very seriously and was like, you're not allowed to use this app anymore. So that kind of, you know, is similar to what China is doing. I think, you know, it it seems like a pretty prudent thing to keep that kind of stuff away from your military bases. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So um, on that note, that's about all I've got for uh, uh, the news uh, this month. So, you know, I'm sure we'll have another one soon and we'll we'll get you more automotive news. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll probably talk about the uh, the RPM Act in a more deep dive sort of episode. But um, there is one story that I wanted to mention that it's not strictly an automotive or even a vehicle thing. Uh, but this article, article from Gizmodo, this Mars bar rover will chase you around a store and tempt you to buy candy. And it's this little robotic uh, merchandise display that will follow shoppers around a grocery store and, you know, say, hey, you want to buy a candy bar? And yeah, so <laughs> I think we were talking about this. Connor, you said something like this is the most capitalist thing ever or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, it is. It's <laughs> so obnoxious. We're going to need to get you another a podcast for just gadget discussions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, gadget capitalism. So, yeah, it's coming soon to a grocery store near you. <laughs> yeah. So I think we should wrap up. Um, I might talk with, the, with Zach here for a minute about his uh, project cars or something if y'all need to get going here but yeah i uh i do have to jump off myself yeah i'm uh, on the delightful schedule of getting up at three in the fucking morning so that i can be at work by 4 a.m so i'm dying all right well i'll say goodbye guys all good right. to talk to you yep goodbye guys all right goodbye everybody When we go to work, we check our hard-won rights at the door, and your employers rule over you night and day. All right, so we're recording again. Um, Zach couldn't make it for most of the episode, but uh, we're here talking just to put this, I don't know, I don't know where we'll put this in the episode, but... uh, just wanted to get your your updates on your projects and and various stuff. See how you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I've got a couple things done since I last talked about them. Um, it's been a while since we talked about project cars. I feel like um, 
but I got um got some coilovers for the WRX. I uh, got those on a couple weeks ago. I've had them for months. I've just been um, preoccupied. Uh, what uh, what variety are you going with? Uh, so I went with the Faction Fab F Spec coilovers. Um, lower cost coilover, but great reviews. Everybody seems to like them. They got a lot of higher end uh, features compared to their price point. Nice. I I think I might have told you I I thought about doing coilovers on mine, but um, it, it's kind of expensive and I and when I bought the car I didn't really have a whole lot of money left over from mods, um and so I went like it had blown shocks, and I just went with the um, ooh I forget the brand but the the model is called Excel G, uh and they're sort of the OEM plus. Uh, struts and they're gotcha. maybe a little bit stiffer than than shot than the stock ones but um yeah they work okay but the the tires i have are not very well matched it's a little bit harsh uh ride yeah that's always um a little bit of a trade-off if you go with you know even a really really nice coil over anything that makes your suspension stiffer you can have the nicest tires in the world but stiffer suspension means a rougher ride. It's just the way that it is. Yeah. And I, I probably need to do like some sway bars or something would be probably the next step if I was going to change anything in the suspension. Um, are you doing sway bars on yours? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely on the list uh, right now. Uh, I just received a cold air intake though for it. I uh, got a look into getting a tune for that to make sure that I don't run lean and, and, and blow a valve or burn up a ring or anything like that. But that's definitely on the list somewhere. Sway bars and maybe some chassis bracing possibly. Yeah. As well. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a little time to get used to the coilovers before I start making it any more stiff. Yeah, I know, at least with the strut-type suspension, those do benefit from uh, having some kind of chassis brace, like a strut tower brace or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think yours is new enough that it has the multi-link suspension in the rear. Is that right? Yeah, it's a multi-link in the rear. Okay, so that might be a little different. I'm not sure how that works exactly. I mean, it's still going to have a similar effect. Maybe not as drastic as an older model without a multi-link suspension but you know you're still gonna be stiffening the chassis less less flex the same kind of idea but like i said yeah maybe just not quite as drastic okay nice yeah um, so you got those installed and you're driving on them or yeah i got those installed maybe two weeks ago now i think um, and then yesterday I adjusted them a little, pulled the wheels and tires again, just to get in there and give it a little adjustment, just to fine tune it after driving on it for a while. Cause if you've never installed coilovers before, uh, you probably won't get it right the first time. Uh, and they, you just, you don't really know how the car is going to respond and react until you've driven on it for a while. So be aware that if that's something that, you know, you as a listener, plan to do you're probably gonna have to get back in there and mess with it again 
Yeah, and and with any suspension part, you know, you usually want to, I don't know, at least uh, put the car on the ground and like jostle it around, if not like drive around the block uh, to settle everything in place, um, and then maybe double check and tighten everything up and make sure it's good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't want a wheel falling off because you forgot to tighten lug nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, that that could be unfortunate. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's all the new stuff, the new cool little bits on the WRX. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it yet on the podcast, but I'm done with the Audi S4. That is yeah. running, driving, all good to go. I'm just waiting on a buyer for that now. Oh, so you're trying to get rid of it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's not something I want to hang on to. I've got okay. A million other project ideas that I would rather have than a uh, an Audi that sits in the garage. And... Yeah, I guess you don't really need two all-wheel drive cars. Yeah, they're uh, they're a little too similar to to have two of them. I think. And the the WRX is just more easily moddable. It's more fun. It's a better daily driver. Less headaches. Yeah, so, a lot cheaper too. I imagine uh, astronomically. I mean, everything is half the price or less. Yeah. In comparison. Well, I guess if any uh, listeners are want to buy your car, you know, just email us. Yeah. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get it we'll set try. up. We'll we'll work that out. I don't I don't know if anyone will be willing to because I've talked a lot of shit about that car <laughs> on the podcast already. But hey, if you like making bad decisions, hit me up. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Well, they're listening to us, so that's one bad decision already. <laughs> yeah, they're already on a good path. Might as well just double down on it. Buy a 15-year-old luxury German sedan. <laughs> yeah, uh, likewise, if anyone wants to buy a half-broken scooter, or I mean, excuse me, a moped from me, uh, you know, hit me up. We may so. have to talk about that. That sounds something that, that I might do. That sounds like a bad decision I would make. Yeah, well... Um, we might, we might do a deep dive into scooters and mopeds in the future. I, I'm going to try and find a, a guest, uh, to talk about that. Um, but, uh, they're, they're kind of fun, especially if you're doing like, if you want a low budget way of, of, you know, messing around with something mechanical, uh, you know, they're pretty simple and cheap and easy to find parts yeah. for them and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great way to get into just wrenching. I mean, yeah. Even a decent scooter is going to be cheaper than the cheapest car. And then, boom, there you go. You got something to crank on. Yeah. I mean, well, like I said, we'll talk about this some more, but like that's how I got into into wrenching and stuff is I got a an old Vespa moped, uh, not a scooter, a moped. I uh, want to make that clear. Um, and, you know, the engine only has three moving parts and uh, you know, you can take it apart with uh, pretty simple tools and change out the cylinder and the piston or the exhaust or whatever to get, you know, go from 30 miles to 40 miles an hour. Uh, Ooh, nice. Yeah. Which is really as fast as you want to be going with mechanical drum brakes. Yeah. That seems scary. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty low tech operation. Um, 
But um, yeah, I think that I think that might be all, unless you have something else uh, you want to put at the end of this episode. Uh, no, I think that's about it. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, getting on the call, man. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll be doing. All profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. There's a point, 7,000 RPM, where everything fades. The machine becomes weightless, just disappears. And all that's left is a body moving through space and time. 7,000 RPM, that's where you need it. You feel it coming, creeps up on you close in your ear, asks you a question. The only question that matters, who are you? Our economy isn't about freedom at all, just the opposite. American capitalism today is defined by an overwhelming lack of freedom for the vast majority of people, and incredible dictatorial power for a few people at the very top. She assaulted my body. Yeah. And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. Socialism is a The essence of free market corporate capitalism is the transformation of living, living nature into commodities and commodities into dead capital.